Glad to see everyone here. Hope everybody's doing good. And did anybody here enjoy driving in the snow? You have fun? That's interesting. Okay, Sean? A 12-passenger van. You said broadside. I'll, I'll say drift. Drifting in the 12-passenger 12, 12 Tice family truckster. Just you by yourself. So, yeah. Uh, it always is a temptation when you have a 12-passenger van, isn't it? And there's ice. Uh, or if you've been on our, in our parking lot in the back, you know that it's, it's, it can be kind of interesting uh, to um, uh, get your car sideways if you're a guy. There's always that possibility that it may happen. And snow, for some of us, is less of a thrill and more of a trauma. Uh, perhaps you've had an experience in having a fender bender or something like that, and snow has had a negative impact on your desire to get behind the wheel. Anybody sort of have that kind of trauma? Okay, Abby. Uh, and I've had a little bit of that myself. Um, and, and I watched my son go through it. And I think I mentioned a few weeks ago how uh, he was um, going down the hill on Lisbon Road, which is uh, down to 14 from our house. And I had always told him, I said, this is a dangerous intersection and you uh, need to be very careful that you don't hit some ice and slide out into the road. And if you happen to find some, uh, uh, find yourself in a position where the road conditions are such that you're not able to get the vehicle stopped, the best thing to do is to do everything that you can to avoid sliding out into the intersection uh, and hitting another car. Uh, so he was, I forgot last winter, uh, gave all of the young drivers learning to drive a pass on winter driving conditions. And so here he is, right out of the gate, first winter, right down a hill, just going like a kid's going, hitting the brakes, and the car not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not stopping. So in a, in a desire to do what he was instructed to do, he goes off into the ditch, he hits the stop sign to try to avoid going out in the thing, and then he, as a last uh, uh, evasive measure, he goes across the road and he stops. And he just sat there. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call. And it's from Stephen. I'm like, how you doing, Stephen? He said, Dad, come and get me. And I'm like, where are you at? He says, I'm at the bottom of the hill. I hit the stop sign. I'm in my truck. I'm waiting for you to come and get me. Because I think he was so traumatized by the fact that it had, it had, it, the unthinkable had happened. And it just happened so fast that he didn't know what the next step was. He needed me to come alongside him and say, uh, are you okay? And, you know, I'm here for you, here to help you out. And as I did that, um, I, I could see sort of this look in his eyes like, I'm not sure what just happened and I'm not sure what to do. So we did the appropriate thing. We went and called the police and reported it. And, and, and he went through the whole process of talking to the police officer. And I know that was traumatic in and of itself. But he began to calm down a little bit. And I'm like, are you okay? Are you good, bud? And, 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 he, and he sort of recovered. And this is where it gets a little twisted. And I, I've got to confess my sins a little bit as a father. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there's a, a good pastoral urge here. But I knew that he, it was going to change his relationship to that that part of the road and change his relationship to road conditions. And I, I noticed the other day that after they came and repaired the stop sign that there was another stop sign off in the ditch on the other side. And I'm like, I can't believe those city workers. Where's Wes? Because they do an awesome job. Uh, and I can't believe the, uh, the state workers. They do an awesome job. The township workers, I'm not sure what they're thinking, but when they replace that, they just threw the sign in the ditch. And so I'm kind of cracking on them a little bit. And I'm looking at that sign in the ditch and I'm thinking, 
I know what I'm going to do. The sign's kind of mangled. It's off of the post. Um, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to set it in our son's room. And when he comes home and he sees that sign, I'd like to know what his response is going to be. Is it like, and he is going to need six months of counseling afterwards, or is he going to laugh it off? And it turns out he just sort of laughed it off. And I looked at the sign, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of beat up. It's got your imprint on it. It's also got a little decal on the back of it. What does it say? Uh, $2,500 fine and or a life sentence in prison if you take this property. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> and, but I thought, you know what? It's a damaged sign. It doesn't matter. They throw it in the ditch. It doesn't matter. So... A couple days later, I'm driving down the hill and I'm looking at the stop sign that we had paid for or we're going to pay for to be replaced. And I'm thinking, you know, didn't there used to be two signs there? Oh yeah, the sign that I got back at home is a sign that belongs on the other side. So now I've got to unstory that story. I've got to put the sign back in the ditch and say, never saw it, officer. And of course, you guys are, are with me on this, right? And you're like, no, you're on your own, Leonard. Huh? Each man to himself. But in, in a community of believers... Um, we support one another, whether it's your kid or whether it's a church. And when we go through traumatic experiences, it's always helpful when somebody's right there to have a little bit of understanding on what the next step is. And as we're doing a series on community, I think about sort of the good and the bad and the ugly of community. Because I, I know for a fact that uh, many of you, you come to church every week. And some of you find a way to get involved in relationships with other people. And when you do... You're just so much stronger in your ability to, to function as a believer. I honestly uh, believe that from experience. And so it's always a burden for us uh, on staff and for leaders in the church to have people come and not be connected to other people so that they can be strong. And uh, just recently, I, I watched a, a video by a guy named Sebastian Younger who was looking at PTSD. And he was a, a war journalist, and he'd been in a few places around the world and spent time, uh, literally months of time with people, soldiers in battle, and, and, and companies of soldiers. And he connected with them, and he got to share their experience with them. And it became such a bonding experience that he was very impressed by <clears throat> how, despite the fact that most of them had come within an inch of their life of being shot at and killed, that all of them just relished the experience. And you would think, well, why? And as he described what soldiers um, saw as an upside for being shot at and having planes dropping bombs on you, he said the thing about it is these guys not only feel included, they, they feel like they belong to each other. They're watching out for each other. When they go to sleep, even in the midst of all of that, they sleep like a baby because they know that if something does happen that's a threat to their well-being, somebody else is keeping their eyes open so that they're protected. And he said whenever these platoons of people or these companies of people would finally get to the place where they are moving on out of military life and into civilian life, <clears throat> they found it very difficult because many of them said, I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to be a part of modern life. Because even though there are wonderful opportunities, we are the wealthiest that humanity has ever been, they know instinctively that we are isolated. 
that in all of our great blessing of what we have as modern people, we're socially disconnected. And for them, the one thing that mattered more than everything else was the ability to be a part of a group of people where they belonged, where they cared for each other, and where it was so important that they took care of each other. That You know how sometimes when we're in a group of people and there'll be a person that we don't really care for, we start to kind of discount them and kind of push them away. He said, you know, in groups where people feel it's life and death that they stick together, there is no contempt. There is no looking down at others. There is this strong need to depend and rely on each other. And I honestly believe that God has baked that into you and I. And to confirm it even further in the storyline, as he looked at soldiers who walked away from those experiences and they had, they had bouts with PTSD, he said usually it'd go, go away in, in, in about 20 months. But a lot of them it would be lifelong. And do you know what he said was the game changer? It wasn't what was inside the soldier necessarily that led to basically overcoming the PTSD. It was who they connected with outside of that experience with others. If they had a place where they felt like they could belong, the PTSD just it wouldn't emerge. It would just kind of settle and then it would, it would go away. And it, it, it became such a, a point of interest that even doctors and sociologists and other people that try to solve these things are taking careful note of just how much in our healing it isn't so much us standing in front of the doctor and he, you know, popping open the lid and saying, this is what I see going wrong in there. That's certainly part of it. But what care professionals are doing now is they're saying, what kind of environment are you finding yourself in as you seek to come out of this? And the ones who found a place where they could have a similar experience of belonging did pretty good. And the ones who couldn't didn't do so well. And it just underscored the point that God has made us for community. Now, we're going through a series on that very topic as we're looking at the book of Acts chapter uh, 2 in the wake of Peter's awesome sermon and the Holy Spirit coming upon people. And in the description of what the church looked like as it just began to emerge, uh, we read these four things from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if you were with us last week, uh, you're familiar with it. But if you're not, it's just a portable way of saying what should happen in church, what should be happening in church. Uh, This is a a simple directive. So in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, um, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And the apostles' teaching is just, the apostles are looking at the Old Testament and they're saying, what are the stories from the Old Testament that have bearing on who we are now as Jesus has died and is resurrected and now we have the Holy Spirit? What does the word have to say to us to help us along the way to be a better community? So they devoted themselves to that. And then when it says fellowship, it's a word in the Bible that means koinonia. And it is pretty much like what Sebastian Younger as a war journalist experienced in the battlefield when he lived for two months with these guys. 
They just watched out for every need that they had. They depended on each other for that. And that rich fellowship, not just, hi, how you doing? We both like cars. You like cars. I like cars. Let's have fellowship. No, it was more like we have really deep layers of needs in life and we're here for each other to help each other with those deep layers of needs. And the church, when it got out, when it, when it, when it just exited the gate and began to thrive, it had that feature to it. And they met around a table that was a covenantal relationship describing the fact that there is a horizontal connection that you and I have that's critical for our life together that is centered on God. And there's a vertical relationship, or there's a, there's a vertical relationship, rather, centered on God. And then there's that horizontal relationship where it's critical that we are with each other. But you know the interesting thing when I say that that relationship with God um, is, is so critical for community? It's because God himself, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, is a community. You know, we just think of God as just sort of a single entity. But the reality is, God is three entities. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's sort of a divine interaction of how they're, they're the same and yet how they're different in ways that I can't fully comprehend. And the point being is that God displays himself to you and I as a community because he made you and I to thrive only and most effectively in community. When people look at American culture and modern society, they say, yeah, they got a lot going on for them, but their suicide rate is the highest of, of, of almost any culture in the past. The rates of depression are higher, they're off the charts by comparison to other places and other cultures. For some reason, living in isolation, as rich as we are, is killing us. And God's telling us, you were made to thrive and thrive only when you are in those critical relationships, starting with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, 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 then, and then moving next to relationships with each other, characterized by those foundational statements. And the glue that keeps it together, you know what the glue is that keeps all this going? Prayer. Talking to God about each other, and lifting each other to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then trusting that in that whole relational dynamic, God is working. And it, it's helped me in my own prayer life to have a more robust sense of what's going on. It's just me and God singular, but rather it is me. When I pray, I always begin with uh, uh, asking the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to invite me uh, into their presence and then to, in that spirit of hospitality that's so important to them, uh, to hear my prayer and then, I, and then I begin to pray. And I've discovered that I feel like it just is, it, 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 just, it just takes on a life that I, I never really imagined. Well, you may be wondering where I'm going with this. As I'm thinking about the apostles teaching the doctrine of the Old Testament, do you, do you know who the key Old Testament character is? It's Abraham. It's the man that God called to be a, a huge family of people so that through that huge family, all the world could be blessed. And primarily through one family member in particular who would come later, Jesus, that blessing would come to full fruition. 
Now here's the thing about Abraham. He's trying to pull it all together. He's trying to get a sense of what it means to follow this God that he's not really known a lot about who's saying, go to land, I'll show you and I'll bless you. And he's waiting and God shows him that land. And then God's saying, I want you to sacrifice your son. And he does what we would think would be the unthinkable. He starts to do it and God says, no, I just, I, I have reasons for leading you there and, and, and it's probably going to mess a lot of people up later on, but I want you to know I'm going to provide the sacrifice. But then something happens in Genesis 18 that says a lot about where God is really going with this. And I love this story because it tells me that Abraham's understanding of God in my mind, is that same relational God, that same community God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me just show you. Um, in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 7, there, God is moving to a place that's beyond Abraham and the place where he's settled to a, a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he's very upset about the fact that these people have just become so anti-God in everything that they do. That God is going there to sort them out. But along the way, he shows up at Abraham's doorstep. And this is what's so crazy about how God shows up. Because we're not used to seeing this imagery. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it and I'm going to explain it. And then I'll tell you why it all matters in light of why we need to be a community together. So here we go. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold... Three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to, to meet them. And he bowed himself to the earth and he said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And, and let's go ahead and just flip to the next one. And, and, and he said, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said... Do as you've said. And as he did that, um, Abraham went quickly uh, to where his wife was and said, Quick, uh, help us put together three sails of fine flour. We're going to make some bread. And Abraham ran to the heart, to the herd, and he took a calf and he slaughtered it and he, and he, and he had them prepare it. And as he did that, he then came back and he brought in a spirit of profound hospitality to these three strangers a meal that would hopefully indicate to them that they were very important people. Um, and as Abraham tells this, or as we read this story about what Abraham did, we're not fully aware of what's going on, but I think what's happening is, in so many places, God is testing Abraham to see where his heart's at. And uh, this is one that I think we let us slip by sometimes. But the reality is, God is concerned about welcome. He's concerned about hospitality. He's concerned about the posture that we have towards other people. Because of all things, I hope you understand this, that God's posture towards you through a blessing cross and an empty tomb is you are always welcome. You are always welcome into my divine circle, into my, into my relationship. It is, it is the place where you actually will find You'll find what you're looking for. And God wanted to know if Abraham reflected that spirit of hospitality. And sure enough, when God showed up as three persons, 
which in the history of the church, many commentators have said, and I, and I would tend to agree with them, that the three persons were just a, a, a divine embodiment of three people. And the three people were the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was God's way of demonstrating to Abraham initially, just like I called you to be a community, uh, we as God, one God, are a community together in three persons. And Abraham is trying to wrap his mind around that on one level. And on the other level, he's trying to show hospitality to the strangers. Because it's just the way that God has led him to grow and develop as, as his own human being in his own right. You know, the book of James in the New Testament later on reflects on Abraham and the many episodes that happened. And in particular, he talks about, um, in, in chapter 2, verse 23, how, how God um, in Abraham's mind was, a f- God and Abraham were friends. And that there was a righteousness and a justice about Abraham's way of life that made it a suitable relationship that worked. Now, as God is working in Abraham's life in this way, He's showing, of all people, a church that would emerge, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that would begin to take note of who this God is and contemplate it. Now, in other traditions, especially in the Orthodox Church, they have uh, this painting hanging in a, in, in a lot of places. And it's a reminder of this scene. It is the hospitality of Abraham under the tree of, of memory. And it is a depiction of, of in, in, the, in, the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit sitting down together in a spirit of being guest to the incredible hospitality of Abraham. And as they're sitting there and Abraham's preparing everything so that it's an enjoyable experience, they're, they're waiting to, 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 to be served um, in, 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 in that act of, of, of graciousness. But what I like about the depiction of this picture is how it takes three persons that it's hard for you and I to wrap our minds around. And it gives them qualities that we can kind of relate to. And the most important depiction of this as God in three persons, it, it's just a way of saying there's no way of totally explaining the mystery of God but one way of looking at it, Abraham, is we're just three strangers showing up at your doorstep. And we're just wondering, how's this going to go down? And Abraham, you welcome this stranger, and we're going to bless you as a result of that. And Abraham was pretty humbled by this whole gesture of their presence with him. But they went on to explain that our mission actually isn't to come here and to be with you. But rather, we're concerned about that city over there. Because we have heard plea after plea of people who have been exploited. People who have been abused. People who have suffered under the heavy handedness of some real bullies that are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've heard these cries and we're going to go down there and we're going we're gonna to sort them out. And it isn't God's desire to go and just sort everybody out who has a minor infraction. No, these guys have been stepping way past the line for a long time and shots across the bow I'm sure have happened and God's finally saying, we're at that place where this just can't continue. And you know what Abraham did? We read these words in uh, in, in the same chapter, verses seven, uh, 16 through 26. I'm just going to go into part of it and explain it because I know it'll take a little bit to unpack. 
Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And as they're walking along, Abraham, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in that divine community, the Lord said... Shall I hide from Abraham? And I'm sure it's one of the three speaking to each other what I'm about to do. And seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. That is doing the right things and doing it in a spirit of, 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 of what's honorable to truth. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And Abraham's cooperating with this because he's starting to really get God. And as he's getting God as a community, you see kind of a shift between the Lord singularly and the Lord three in one. And Abraham's beginning to try to solve the mystery of the Trinity all in this. And then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And Abraham began to chime in. And he started to say, well, what if there's so many righteous people? Will you, will you hold your hand of wrath against them? And they're like, yeah, we'll do that. But what if we reduce that number down a little bit? Will you still, will you still refrain? And God's like, yeah, we'll, we'll still refrain. And he just kind of bartered him all the way down to almost nothing. And God said, yeah, we'll still refrain. Now, the Lord... As three strangers trek down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know you've heard you know references to homosexuality and all that stuff, which perhaps that issue is 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 one of the key things or not. But really, what if you get caught up in all of that, you miss something, and that is the response to strangers that this community had. And the abhorrent, the, the abhorrent reaction that God had because they were looking at strangers in a way that was dehumanizing. As these three are walking into the community, or as it, it says at that point, there are messengers walking in. And there's just sort of this intermingling of God and messengers all in one. But it's God's way of saying, you're not fully going to understand the mystery of what's happening here, but just trust us. And as they're walking in, the townspeople are asking themselves the question, how can we exploit these strangers? What is it that these strangers can do for us? And it turned pretty dark. And I just want to make a little point of comparison. Because I think in a lot of ways... Maybe we have a little bit of the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah in us. And in other ways, we sort of have the spirit of Abraham in us, wanting righteousness and justice. And you know what two categories I use to define the difference? One goes all the way back to the garden. There's some fruit. Let's take it and consume it in a way that has no regard for God and hopefully will be very gratifying for us. There is something about excessive consumption that can become pretty evil. It can become all-consuming where you just never get enough. And I hate to say it, but you and I live in a culture that is premised on 
consuming as much as we can possibly be sold in packaging that is as attractive as it can possibly be so that we'll consume more. And we have to be careful that it doesn't play into our own selfishness. Because when God says, I want to form a community, the last thing that he really wants us to be is a community that says, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this for me? But rather, God says, I want a community to be premised on the notion that the people that are there want to be there. Because maybe they've lived that consumer life and they said, you know, it's just left me empty and feeling worse about myself than ever before. I want to be part of something where people give. Where people are doing things for each other that is actually elevating their humanity rather than taking away from it. And so I just want to as I'm just imagining the apostles teaching the doctrine, put this in broad scope. In Genesis 18, you have a spirit of hospitality that says, welcome God. And God says, you passed the test because that's the kind of God we are. We're here to welcome you into our divine community. And then in the next chapter, the people aren't saying welcome except to the point where it... It means they're going to get something out of you or from you. And God said, that's not going to work. And of course, you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their lack of hospitality did them in because they were just doing the opposite. Rather than saying, what I have is yours for you, for your benefit and elevation. Rather, it was, what do you have that I don't have that I can use or that I need? And it's those sinister aspirations that God says, that will not work in community. Not any community, not my community. Matter of fact, they've taken it so far over the edge that I'm just going to shut them down completely. And what I like about the story is the fact that I can honestly say I've been both of those people. I've been the guy who takes and consumes And I've been the guy who's been on the giving end in community. And I can tell you that my better person is the guy that says, what can I do for you? And as Abraham is going through this whole experience, he's still praying for these very jacked up people, hoping that God will somehow show compassion to them. I think in one sense his prayer was heard. Because there was, a long time later, a lot of very jacked up people that God said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to insert myself into their world. And they're not going to treat me very hospitably. Probably in this case, they're going to kill me. But I'm still going there. Because they need to see who I am as the son. They need to see who the father is as the father. And they need to experience who the Holy Spirit is as the spirit. And Jesus came, he put on the face of God. He showed himself in ways that said, I'm a stranger, invite me in or not. And some did and some didn't. But those who did, God said, I'm going to make you part of my family forever because you get hospitality. You welcomed me. And as God is looking at us, he's asking the question, are you welcome? 
Are you willing to welcome us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into your life? Because I can assure you, when the Father came in the form of the Son, enabling by the power of the Spirit, you know, your head's spinning because the Son is praying to the Father and the Holy Spirit is conceiving through um, a, a virgin female, uh, the Son making him begotten, not, not born, but begotten, already pre-existing. And doing things that just make our heads spin. But despite all that, God is saying, I'm there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole time. And I'm just drawing people into this experience together. I'm showing that our life together is premised not on violence, not on exploitation, but is premised on the fruit of the Spirit. And some people are like, we've been looking for this for so long. And Peter preaches a sermon in the opening pages of the book of Acts. And he says, everything that you've heard about, I'm sure regarding Abraham, but he he hones in on David, it all really came to full fruition in this man you know of as Jesus. And he came here knocking on doors and then he became the Christ who you crucified. And in that moment, people are like, oh, God invited us in and we killed him. I don't know where you go from there except a bloodstained cross that said, this is how much I want you to be part of a community. I'm willing to die for it. And when people saw that cross, they saw the thing that would begin to help them overcome their own dark side so they could be the people that could live in God's family in, in, in the way most suitable for us to live together. So when we do community here at First Christian, our goal is to take that relational dynamic of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and then each other and to make it or, or allow it to come alive as God's invited into that equation. And the early church said, that's what we got to do. And we have to center it around something that binds us together in the form of a covenant that Jesus described as the covenant of my blood and my body. Remember that each time you come here because none of you are better than the others. All of us are humbled before God in the same way. And the only way that we can be a divine community together is for us to bow our knee to the loaf and the cup and just thank the Lord for his profound love. But we have a lot of issues, don't we, when it comes to doing even that. We have a lot of issues when it comes to community and other people. It's not easy. But when we start with God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's clearly possible. And God says, I just want to take what we are and radiate it out into who you are together. So we're doing the series on community based on what I hope is a very good foundation. And this afternoon, we're going to invite you uh, into prayer if you want to join us at 4 to 5 and just be talking to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit about all these things that burden us like they burden Abraham. 
He's looking at the community saying, broken, broken, broken. Lord, help them out rather than judge them. And this time God's saying, we're here to redeem. We're here to help out. But you've got to ask. And then in, 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 in our next gathering, we're going to just invite you to be a part of a group if you're not, so that you can begin to experience that divine community together. And it's just our way of trying to be faithful to the original vision of doing life together in him. And we hope that you can become a part of it in some way if you're not, because being disconnected is not healthy. Being connected really is the pathway for life together. And it's not our design, it's just God's way. So I'm going to leave it at that because this really is a four-part sermon and these are all pieces of that sermon together. And I hope that as God has spoken to you today, if you haven't received his invitation through the blood of his son to be a part of the community that he's offered us in himself, then maybe God's prompting you right now to say, yeah, it's a good time to identify with my family, to experience forgiveness, to acknowledge in a spirit of humility that Jesus is Lord and that in every way his intent is always to make me the person that he called me to be to begin with, to bless me, bless my family. And as God calls us into that, he uses a delineating action called baptism that says, if anybody questions whether or not you're part of the family, just say, that was the day that I died with him and rose again with him. And if you've never gone through that process, from God's point of view, it's a critical way of helping you know, yeah, I'm part of God's family. He showed hospitality to me and now I'm his. And maybe it's just to help people around you in that regard. So however it is that God's leading you, how he's prompting you, which is what we've been praying for, I just ask that you respond in, a, in an attitude of curiosity, of willingness, of a desire to see where does that next step take us. And after the service, you can meet us down in the studio right next door. You can catch me um, uh, or one of the leaders that you see here. And that's why we're here. So God's invited us into a divine community. That picture is actually called by many the divine dance, which I think is pretty cool. It's just a way of saying God's always doing something dynamic and he's inviting us there. And it could be pretty fun. You may get your toes stepped on a few times, but there's joy in the journey.